welcome to the 209th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. As the excitement over how regenerative farming systems can create healthy soil gathers momentum, the list of benefits that can result from building organic matter grows. Besides creating more resilient crop ground and pastures and reducing the need for expensive chemical inputs, healthy soil can also slash erosion and keep our water clean. And as LSP's Soil Health, Water, and Climate Change Pocket Guide points out, another key role biologically active soil can play is as a sponge for greenhouse gases. Cover cropping, diverse rotations, no-till, and managed rotational grazing of livestock have been shown to build soil organic matter, which in turn increases the land's ability to sequester carbon dioxide. This has scientists and environmentalists excited about the potential for making soil a net carbon sink, and thus reversing the negative impacts of climate change. Soil's ability to capture and store greenhouse gases has caught the attention of industries that are contributing to our climate change problem and are looking for ways to reduce their carbon footprint. It's becoming increasingly clear that renewable energy and conservation, while important elements of climate change mitigation efforts, aren't enough. We also need to find ways to remove greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. One company that's taken a serious look at the role soil health can play in mitigating climate change is Asko Finlinson, a Minnesota-based outdoor clothing company. As part of its Keep the North Cold initiative, the firm has committed to measuring the annual carbon footprint of its operations and supply chain and then giving 110% of that cost to organizations and institutions that are working to solve the climate crisis. In its efforts to deal with climate change, Asko Finlinson is focusing on four key areas, education, energy, climate justice, and agriculture. This last area of focus, agriculture, is exciting, given the role innovative farmers can play in helping bring stability to our climate. I recently sat down to talk to Adam Fetcher, the company's Vice President of Environmental Impact and Policy. We discussed why it's important for companies like his to go beyond just reducing their impact on the environment and to take a proactive approach by, for example, supporting methods for sequestering carbon. It became clear during our conversation that soil-smart farming could play a key role in helping companies like Asko Finlinson turn back the carbon clock. When I came on board at Asko Finlinson this fall, the challenge was really about how can we take our Keep the North Cold climate mission and embed it throughout the company's operations and sort of make it part of every decision part of our company DNA, I like to say. To do that, we looked at sort of a range of different options. We kind of put a lot of stuff up on the board. You know, how could we work really hard to reduce the impact in our own supply chain? How could we give money away to organizations that were uh, working on the front lines of the climate crisis? You know, maybe a percentage of our sales or a percentage of our profit. Some companies do that, and it can be really powerful. But what I think we felt was missing from the apparel industry and really the business community at large was this value of accountability for the climate costs, the carbon footprint of our business and, and of, of any business. So we, we landed on this idea of, yeah, we're going to reduce the impact of our company over time. We're going to make decisions to lower our carbon footprint, but we're going to measure the, the carbon footprint that we do make, knowing that we will always have an impact. And then we're going to turn around and give away 110% of that to organizations that are really leading in developing climate solutions. Uh, And in that way, we are holding ourselves accountable and then some for the climate costs of the business. And I think that in an era of climate crisis, when really we're facing truly urgent issues with the warming of the planet and all the impacts that go along with that in terms of health, economic security, 
safety for humans all around the world, not to mention our warming winters here in the north. It's really incumbent on business to act, and we can't just act in lowering our footprint by a little bit every year. That's just not enough. I think we really need to rethink our relationship with the planet and start doing more good than harm. And that's what our model is all about. With agriculture, we chose agriculture as one of kind of the four key areas where we wanted to focus our resources, the others being energy, climate justice, environmental justice, and education. Agriculture, we picked because we see not only the opportunity to, like I said, decrease the environmental impact, but really to start reversing climate change. Agricultural practices like perennial grains, continuous cover, really foster healthy soils to the point where um, you can start really creating a net positive for the planet by locking more carbon into the soil, pulling more carbon from the atmosphere. It certainly doesn't mean that we don't need to continue to reduce the harm that we're causing in every other aspect of our society and of industry, but it offers this opportunity to to kind of create this net positive. And as we're going out looking for cutting-edge solutions, really, we want to get as much bang for our buck, and we want to support organizations that are working in those areas where that kind of reversal of the traditional sort of extraction of resources is possible. And agriculture is really a place where uh, that work is, is happening, and we want to be a part of making, making it grow. I think that's really interesting because it kind of gets at, I guess, more of a holistic approach, it seems like, in that if you were an apparel company who's saying we're going to reduce our carbon footprint, you could look directly at your source of materials, you know, that kind of thing. But you're really looking at, because uh, what you're talking about, say, in agriculture with building soil health is really starting from the ground up, literally. I'm guessing if you had even tried this four years ago, it may not have, it may have looked differently, and I'm not sure if agriculture, it, and I guess what I'm getting at, getting at is some of the real exciting area, things that have come out around how soil, building soil health can sequester greenhouse gases has really just come out in the last few years with some of the new science and some of the innovative things farmers are doing on their own land. So you're really kind of hitting it at a time, I don't know if you get that sense, but you're hitting it at a time when it's a perfect storm as far as that science has really come along, and we are seeing more and more in kind of environmental community and in scientific community and in agriculture this thing that agriculture can have this proactive impact in this area a little bit rather than always looking at it initially a lot of when people would talk about agriculture and climate change is well how can we reduce how much uh, fuel we're using when we're out doing tillage that kind of thing to reduce that impact but now it's more of that proactive thing where farmers are having this kind of being able to push the system a little bit i think that's a really important point i think conventional agriculture accounts for something like 13 percent of global greenhouse gas emissions so it is a really big part of the problem no question and conventional agriculture practices large-scale factory farming ways of growing crops that leaves the soil bare for a large majority of the year i think we're, we've long understood the problems there i think what is new is we're starting to understand the potential for diff- these different practices to not just reduce that harm but actually reverse it and start delivering that net positive on climate change which is really important i want to really emphasize that we are totally new to this area so as a company as an individual myself, we're just starting to learn about the nuances, the details, the challenges of involved in using agriculture as a solution to climate change. And I think that's why we're embarking on a process right now to 
be talking to groups like the Land Stewardship Project, like some of our grantees at the Land Institute, at the University of Minnesota, Green Lands, Blue Waters, Forever Green, groups that are really at the leading edge of research and development about uh, new crops, perennial crops, or you know winter annuals, and then building the network that can create a supply chain that could ultimately bring these kinds of crops to market. We're really in listening mode right now so that we can try to learn. We're going to deliver financial resources because as a, a, a business, that's the role I think that's most important for us to play. And then we hope, you know, as the year goes on to be bringing stories to our audiences as well and play a role that could be helpful to the larger movement in educating more people about the amazing potential of agriculture to really be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. You said you're kind of new into this area, but I know you've been kind of researching it and going to some meetings, that type of thing. And I think even going to workshops on cover cropping. What are some areas that you really just really get you excited and you're like, oh, I never thought of it, that that could have such a positive impact? Well, I did. I, I attended a continuous cover crop workshop in Le Center, Minnesota, uh, west of the Twin Cities, a couple of weeks ago. And one thing that really struck me, I was, I, I was going to really just kind of immerse myself in this world and especially to see how, you know, groups like LSP or some of the, you know, watershed districts and other management organizations are communicating to farmers about the potential for agriculture to be part of an environmental solution. And, you know, I was really struck that agriculture is a place where it doesn't always have to be about climate change. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, climate change has become a partisan issue in this country. I think that's really sad. I think that you know those who have used it as a wedge um, have really inflicted something truly damaging on, on our society, on our politics, um, because really protecting the future of the planet for our children you know, isn't a partisan issue, shouldn't be. But un- unfortunately, there's been a lot of bad information out there. At the same time, that means that there needs to be different ways of going about presenting solutions to different audiences. Everyone can get behind kind of something that, you know, helps ensure safety, security, economic prosperity for them and their families. In talking with farmers, I was really impressed about just showing the benefits of continuous cover on the farmer's bottom line. For them, that's obviously what matters. Like, you know, it's, it's been a tough road for, for farmers, I think, getting tougher in this country, finding ways to increase yields, and to you know, boost the economic prosperity of their land is obviously on the top of mind. And I think the benefit of agriculture, the, you know, the, the solutions that we're looking at here is that over time, with those investments, that can be the result of, of some of these practices. So uh, that's, that's one thing that's really exciting to me, um, just the opportunity to really bridge gaps um, maybe forget about climate change for a few conversations and just go into what's good for all of us together in different ways. I also think just, you know, the kind of revelation that soil health matters is really interesting to me and something I'm trying to learn more about the science, obviously really at the beginning of that process, but I think we take soil for granted. I think we imagine soil as sort of something to be used, leveraged, you know, uh, so we, we know our food is grown in soil, obviously, we know that the earth is covered in soil, but in terms of the, the differences of those soil ecosystems and what it means for the soil to be healthy and the benefits of that, I think is something that is dawning on people in new ways right now because of this movement, because of groups like LSP that are going out there and talking about it. I think that's 
that's really great because it's, you know as we can start thinking about soil as kind of the earth armor as it was put at this workshop that really resonated to me you know mother nature always ensures that there's there's a cover there's an armor on the earth but our conventional agriculture system leaves the soil bare for months at a time so returning to a more natural practice of making sure that it's covered all the time and has that, that room to grow healthy and for ecosystems to thrive it sparks the imagination in a powerful way give me a sense of how this calculation this must be a daunting task i can <laughs> I um, but give me a sense of how that how you're going to go about that. That I know you've just kind of started this, but uh, you've been very public about it, so you're you're committed to it. I think uh, you're absolutely right that uh, measuring the the carbon footprint of of really anything is really challenging, and especially a supply chain that's as complex as as ours. And you know, we're at the simple end of the spectrum. I think a lot of people know us for our North Hats, kind of an iconic piece. Mm-hmm. Our company's really been at the forefront of reimagining the identity, celebrating the North um, for our unique values and our unique values and and embracing our cold winters, all year round exploration. Mm -hmm. Uh, The North hat is is sort of the the most famous part of our line, but we've also got two types of pants, really rugged outdoors pants. We've got fleece top and bottom, got kind of a rugged outdoors shirt, several other pieces that round out our current assortment, which is only growing in the future. Um, And so taking and understanding the supply chain of each of those products and then gathering the data required to really understand the carbon footprint is certainly a huge challenge. So we've given ourselves this year to really come up with the first calculation, and then we'll be doing calculations on an annual basis thereafter, which will really drive that 110% calculation. Yeah, that involves um, a lot of data gathering. It involves life, life cycle assessments of our products. It involves um, really you know, mapping out where the products are you know, coming to life at every stage of the process. It's a fascinating way to get to know the impact that your company has on the planet. I mean, I think, unfortunately, a lot of companies don't take those steps and don't really know, maybe beyond sort of the finished goods factory, the last step in the process, where their products that they're selling are being built. Where is the cotton being grown, for example, if it's a natural fiber, you know, house, what are the mills that are that are weaving um, those fibers into, into textiles? You know, it's a great education for us. It's a lot of work. It's definitely a significant investment for us, but we hope to create a model that will scale with us. So as we grow as a company, that we will always have this way to, you know, constantly understand uh, our own footprint as well as how individual de- decisions will affect that, you know, in a sense. So, again, getting back to the need to bring, keep the North cold and our mission into every decision we're making as a company, whether it's about, you know, how we power our headquarters here in Minneapolis to how we, you know, envision our policies around transportation to the factories that we choose to, you know, the materials that we're envisioning making our our products from at the very beginning of the design process. Uh, Well, we landed on 110% because we wanted to have that full accountability and then some. And, you know, there's kind of that saying, I'm going to give 110%. And, you know, a lot of people laugh at that because you obviously can't give 110%. But in this case, we are literally giving 110%. So, you know, we thought it was uh, a way to a way to account for the full carbon cost of our business and then some in a way that was that would make sense to our customers, a, a clean number um, that we could feel really proud of. And the idea is that we want to be able to look in the eyes of each of our customers and really say, we're working to keep the North cold. We're working to solve climate change uh, in a way that really adds more value than what we take away from the planet. I think the kind of larger sustainability field is really exploding right now. 
And sustainability is also a word that unfortunately has become pretty watered down and um, it's hard to tell what that means in different contexts. So, you know, we prefer to show the math. Um, and I think that's one thing I'm excited when we get to the first carbon footprinting and accounting, we're going to really show our methodology and put the math out there so people can see, you know, calculated the cost of carbon, how we how we factored all the different you know pieces that add up to our carbon footprint and the dollar value that we're, we've come to through the calculation of 110%. I think that's going to be a really nice way to show our customers, show the business community, the fact that this kind of full accountability is possible while you're still having a successful business, which is really an important part of the equation for us. I think the life cycle assessment is one tool in the toolkit to, to better understand the impact of, and we're working hard to do that process on a couple of our highest volume products. I'll highlight a story about our North Hats in particular, because we're obviously looking to make improvements in how we build our product to lower our carbon footprint. Uh, since we've signed up to be financially accountable for the whole thing. And our North Hats have been made for the last several years from virgin acrylic, which, you know, unfortunately, and this really wasn't part of our decision-making before last six months, but acrylic is has a very high carbon cost. So we are actively right now looking for alternatives. So this is really coming into our business and affecting how we make decisions about materials and, and can, can we, you know, we're asking the question, can we make changes to improve it? And, and that's a real real-world live example of of um, how we're looking for recycled alternatives to acrylic um, that will still give us the great performance value of the hat. It's soft, it's stretchy, it feels great to wear, but also significantly lower the carbon cost. I think one of the interesting challenges of what we're doing is that these are really complex issues. And so engaging with your customers, drawing people in, helping them understand how you're doing your, your model, why it's different from other businesses. You know, there's a reason that a lot of companies kind of go with the easier route because often it's easier to communicate, easier to market. You know, we've really challenged ourselves to not only do the hard work, but also communicate the hard work to our customers in a way that's meaningful. Uh, our, our, one of our chief goals is not only to do important work in supporting climate solutions, but to bring our customers into that process so they can join us in the journey. I do think that our customers care about climate change, and I do think that there's a growing sense, especially among younger people, that they want to support companies that fit their values. I, there's this concept I refer to called voting with your dollars. People, especially younger people, want to vote with their dollars at a time when the political system is not doing its job, just you know, broken and and, and unfortunately so. So uh, I think that there is interest, but there will also be a need for bringing people in, educating them, helping them understand how our model works, why we think it's important. Climate change is one of those issues where a lot of people care, but it's hard to see how you as an individual can make right. a difference. So my philosophy as a business leader and as someone who is committed to working on environmental issues within the context of business is that I believe that we have a responsibility to make the act of consumption in and of itself, buying something, something we do every day naturally no matter what, that every human does, you know, buy something to clothe themselves, that in and of itself needs to be a positive climate action. We can't expect people to spend a lot of their extra time working on climate change, even if it's something as simple as signing a petition. We hope that they will do those things. But I think if we really want to create change and start reversing bit the relationship of business with the planet, we really need to start making those consumer decisions about what food you're buying, what clothes you're buying. That in and of itself needs to be a positive step in the right direction. A lot of what you're talking about is, is really exciting. It's a lot of long-term 
stuff that you're doing the calculations and trying to set this up and because this is you know we didn't get into this issue overnight and we're not going to solve it overnight but it sounds like you've also are looking more in the near term and that you've, you've been able to start putting in motion some uh, action that will have more of an immediate impact and, and funding some research right off the bat and some even products and that type of thing well you're right we are doing our carbon footprint analysis and that's going to take all year and absolutely we're taking a really long-term look at uh, how we can add you know, our business to the list of solutions to the problem of climate change. Uh, but we've also made a million dollar commitment over the next five years to fund this model and to really start deploying resources to support organizations that are on the front lines of climate change. And that started already this year, uh, in particular with some, some work on agriculture, uh, specifically funding two organizations. One, the Land Institute, uh, based in Kansas, mm-hmm. which is really at the, the epicenter of research and development around perennial grains. They, they're the ones who came up with Kernza, which is sort of the most front-leading perennial and one that we're getting involved in through the launch of our beer, Keep the North Cold, which we brewed in collaboration with Fair State Brewing Cooperative, and that's being released in early May. Uh, and we're also funding a group called Greenland's Blue Waters, which is based at the University of Minnesota. And they really play a very important role of, of creating a network of farmers and of others who are interested in this world of perennial grains uh, and growing Kernza. Um, that will help deliver the supply chain that's really needed to bring it to market. Um, so they're working with companies like ours that are you know, buying Kernza and putting it into products like beer, um, as well as other local companies like General Mills or the Birchwood Cafe, which are all doing really interesting things and in experimenting with Kernza and in, in their products, uh, as well as farmers around the state. There's more uh, acres of farmland uh, dedicated to growing Kernza in Minnesota than in any other state. Um, and we're really excited about the, the leading role that the North is playing in this movement towards perennial grains um, that, again, have this amazing potential to uh, be a solution to climate change. So we're going to be talking a lot about Kernza over the next few months. You know, again, our philosophy is really all about making everyday decisions about purchasing food or a beer into a climate solution, a meaningful step in the right direction in and of itself. We're always going to be looking for ways that we can have that conversation with our customers and reach out to our audiences. And that's all about giving the groups that we support a platform to to really showcase the work that's going on. And when it comes to perennial grains and, and Kernza, definitely part of the message is that this is a long-term um, effort. It's mm-hmm. it, Nothing's happening overnight. In, in fact, it's taking decades to get to the point where perennials can be a meaningful part of our agriculture mix and then and hopefully in the future scale to replace a lot of the conventional agriculture. Um, so that message that it's a long-term fight, there's no easy solutions, climate change is an incredibly complex problem, and therefore all the solutions that we can imagine are also going to be equally complex. <laughs> more on ASCO Finlandson's 110% Climate Change Initiative, see askofinlandson.com. You can download LSP's Soil Health, Water, and Climate Change Pocket Guide at landstewardshipproject.org slash smartsoil. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.